And now Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based financial planning firm providing investment and planning advice since 1983. Doug is a certified financial planner who can answer your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now with your investment question? At 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA, Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA, Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug Linda and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And this is Linda Lewis. And this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Good Welcome evening. to the show. Thanks for joining us once again on Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Yeah, and I want to remind our listeners, those who are new to the show, that we are a unique radio finance program. We are not like the other radio shows that talk about investments and finances. We are a problem-solving financial planning program. So when you have an issue, as Linda said, call us a specific issue about yourself, not about what do I think about the state of the economy. No, 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 no. If you have a specific problem concerning your financial issue or your financial world, call us because your money matters because it's your financial future that's at stake. That's right, Doug. That's where we get most of our clients who come in and um, it's always refreshing to hear. I'm calling in because I've been a longtime listener and those are usually our Monday calls and they're wanting to make an appointment to come in and see us and ask their questions about their specific problem or situation what to do next there was a really interesting article in the wall street journal about 401ks and borrowing or making withdrawals from that Mm -hmm. and uh, it had uh, five questions to ask before stealing from your 401k yeah because that is exactly what it really is it's stealing in a sense from your 401k which ultimately is stealing from yourself yeah it's it's not a good thing to do if you're short on cash and you're faced with a big medical or tuition bills or threat of foreclosure or something like that most company 401ks do permit a type of a loan or hardship withdrawal, uh, but advisors like myself, financial planners like myself, we are always going to say, if at all possible, don't do it. Go somewhere else. Withdrawal from a 401k should be a last resort. And there are some pretty big repercussions if you do it. So you are really stealing from yourself But if you really have to touch that retirement stash, then there may be some ways to do it properly. So we don't want you to uh, do it alone. And if you need to do it, you need to be working with a financial planner because there are some real serious consequences if you don't. Yeah, I met with a client, come to think of it, a couple weeks ago. And he told me that 
Uh, he had accumulated up to, I forget, maybe it was a half million dollars in retirement funds through these working years. And I said, well, where is it now? And he said, well, he had taken it all out to go ahead and help his uh, help uh, his relative start a business and everything. And so uh, you really hurt yourself. But on the other hand, sometimes you have to. So if you have to, and you have to um, tap your 401k, one of the first questions you should ask is, what's the tax hit on a 401k loan compared with a withdrawal? Yeah, you got to know these types of rules. Any withdrawal from a 401k is subject to income tax. And if you're withdrawing and you're under 59 and a half years old, then you're going to have to pay an additional 10% tax on the amount withdrawn also. If you have questions, the Lewises have answers. Call them at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. How about a loan? A loan is different now. If a loan is made from your 401k, it is not taxable. It's tax-free. And the interest that you have to pay back, because you have to pay that loan back, but the interest is quite low compared with other borrowings. Usually it's only about 1% or 2% over prime. So you really don't have to uh, uh, think too much about the interest as you pay it back and there's no tax. There is a problem. So there is a problem, isn't there, Doug? The problem is the amount, Linda. And And why is that a problem? Well, the maximum loan that I think I've ever seen allowed on a 401k is $50,000, and suppose you need $100,000. So now uh, the problem is you can't get enough money. Yeah, another thing too would be that if you didn't have 100,000 in the 401k, many times your 401k is going to limit you to 50,000 or 50% of what's vested. The very good, so Deborah you would Lewis. have to have a, right. you know hundred thousand vested. It's the lowest to get. of those. Two. That's yeah. right, Deborah. It's the lowest. So if you only have a hundred, if you only have forty thousand in your four hundred one k, the most you can borrow 20. is twenty thousand. Okay. So All right. so the four four hundred one k is supposed to be the vehicle at your employer where you're accumulating. Right, Debs? Right. And but because of sometimes there are crisis situations. And sometimes there's other situations where someone wants to borrow the the money so that they can purchase a house. Well, I agree with you guys. You're stealing from yourself if you dip in to the 401k. Not only that, Linda, loans aren't available on every 401k plan. Some companies permit only one loan at a time. And this, so you've got to know what are the rules on your 401k, even if you plan to do such a loan. And many plans don't even allow loans. Some plans allow five loans. I've seen all kinds. But the decision to borrow it or take it as a hardship withdrawal is more complicated even still, still because of the taxes. So, Linda, what's question number two that you should ask uh, if you're going to take a loan or a withdrawal? So if I choose a withdrawal, can I avoid some of the tax penalties? All right. Now, if you're considering a withdrawal, not a loan, then there are some ways to avoid the 10% extra tax, but it's not for everybody. First of all, there is no extra 10% uh, tax penalty if you're over 55 years old and you've left the employer who's sponsoring the plan voluntarily. Now, you're not going to be assessed a penalty if you become disabled You're not going to be assessed a penalty if uh, 
The withdrawal is to pay unreimbursed medical expenses. And sometimes if it's a divorce settlement, you're not going to have to pay that extra 10%. If you're not working for the company who's sponsoring the 401k, it's also possible to do what's called a Section 72T, which is, and, and when you do that, you avoid the 10% penalty. That's those substantially equal payments. That's right. That's right. You can take it over substantially equal payments over five years or until you hit 59 and a half years old. Got to take the longer of those two. Uh, and so that's a certain way that you can avoid that extra penalty if you got to do it. But you know, we had a case, a very interesting case a couple weeks ago that was really right along this line. The facts were the client was under 59 and a half years old. In this case, he needed $100,000 and he needed it fast because the IRS wanted him to pay his 2013 income taxes and he had pushed it all the way up to October 15, 2013, uh, 2014 to get the tax paid. So he had to get that money fast. Now, he couldn't borrow from his 401k 100000 because 50000 is the maximum. Well, but didn't have a 401k. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises. If you need help with your personal finances, don't wait. Call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. The issue of where to go was, first of all, do I go to my 401k? And what's there isn't going to be $50,000. Correct. You're right. I mean, all the problems didn't work. But what he could do, and this is what I worked out with him. Okay. He could roll over a 401k to an IRA tax-free. Okay. Then he could withdraw from the IRA $100,000. You can't take loans from an IRA, but you can take a withdrawal. And there's no limits on the withdrawal. So he could take this withdrawal of 100000 from the IRA, and now he had the money to pay the taxes for 2013, but he was still under 59 and a half years old, so we had a big problem here. On the other hand, he had some extra money coming that he knew about, and what he could do, we I worked this out with him, he could replace that money back into the IRA, even though he took it out before 59 and a half years old, he could replace it within 60 days because there's a special rule that says Excellent. if you get the money back in within 60 days, it never happened. So we can get it back in within 60 days and then wait until December 1st when he turned 59 and a half years old and now take it out again and avoid the penalty and we saved him $10,000 in tax very, penalties. Very, very creative. Wasn't that Doug? nice? Yeah. Yes. Very creative. Yeah. You so. got to know all the rules. That's the whole thing. If you can play Absolutely. with the rules, then you can turn lemon into lemonade sometime. You've got to know the rules. And so whether it's a loan or it's a withdrawal, well, all... A third question that people need to ask themselves is, am I feeling solid in my job? Yeah, that's crucial because taking a loan from your 401k requires you to have faith in your job security. If you leave your job because you're laid off, or even if you just moved to another company, that loan balance has to be repaid within 60 days or it is treated 
as a distribution, meaning that you may owe that tax plus 10%, the penalty, because it suddenly is a withdrawal, not a loan. So for many people with a loan outstanding who then change jobs, dipping into savings is the only way they can repay the loan balance quickly unless they have ca- unless they cash out of the 401k upon leaving and it becomes a big problem. So always before you raid that 401k, make sure that you feel solid on your job. And question number four, will I mind my account in a slow lane for six months or more? And here, this is really speaking to, well, if you make this loan or this withdrawal, you are going to have to um, usually be somewhat penalized. You're usually restricted from making contributions to the plan for six months after taking a hardship withdrawal, which further cuts into your retirement assets because the only reason why you put it aside in your retirement plan is so it can grow tax deferred. And you can't make more contributions until you have passed that other that that six month. So now you've hurt yourself double. And one downside of a loan is that the money you borrow is not going to be earning what it would have in the 401k, reducing the power of compounding. So we've got a, a double or triple problem there uh, if we do it in the in in the way of a loan from the 401k. And of course, always there's the question, do I have an IRA substitute? Anything that I can work with an IRA, those with old 401ks, typically from former employers, might consider rolling them over into an IRA, which has much looser rules for early withdrawals, such as the one that I used for the client a few weeks ago. And with an IRA, you're not subject to that 10% penalty tax if you're going to use the money to pay for college tuition or your spouse or your spouse's children or grandchildren. So just really underscoring that you can get around much more within the retirement account world, even just having the IRA versus the 401k. Now, isn't it interesting how many folks there are out there that leave their current employer or their former employer, and they forget to roll over that 401k. So if you're out there listening and you have, you know, I think sometimes it's nostalgia. You know, they were working for that company for so many years. But once you leave your former employer, you have the right to roll it over into an IRA uh, in your own name. Tax-free. Take it away from your former employer. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. And we want to remind people of our website, Doug. DougAndLinda.com. Oh, you can do it again, Deborah. Yes, DougAndLinda.com. Please see our website. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, I think our website is uh, has got little clips, radio clips of uh, previous callers. It does. And we're in the process of adding new things to our website. So go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. And by the way, I think Linda mentioned at the beginning of the show this evening, whoever calls our office this week for an appointment, we will give you a free book. It may be one of three different books, depending on what we think is most suitable for you. It might be a book called The Wealthy Barber. Or it might be a book called The Middle Class Millionaire. Or it could be a third book that we've been enjoying giving to uh, clients and to prospective clients. One called Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. If you would like to make an appointment with the Lewises, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Well, you know, recently we were just talking about retirement and withdrawals. And 
most folks who have worked over their, uh, you know, from the time that they started working after college have retirement income issues and they want to know, how do I manage withdrawals from my retirement income? Perfectly said, because that's the biggest question. If I'm saving money, how do I manage the withdrawals when I get to retirement? So after saving diligently and investing carefully throughout your career, you might figure that come retirement, you could just sort of set cruise control and say, okay, now I'll just take out money. But there's a lot to consider when you start worrying about how to take money from your retirement accounts. Wow. These days, managing withdrawals from your nest egg can be much more complicated than building the nest egg. You know, there's a traditional standard. We all remember what that traditional number is. Oh, yeah. Plan on taking 4%. Right. Plan on taking 4%. Well, and then some people try to go ahead and uh, adjust that and say, start with 4% and then adjust it for inflation. But- not realistic. Not realistic. <laughs> right. And then it's 4% with, without taxes, 4% of what, 4% of, you know, the, you know, it, it gets, there is no such thing as a, a, a rule of thumb. More than, more, one of the things that bothers me even more about that approach is most of those decide how many years you're going to live. And if you take 4% out over the number of years they say in your life expectancy, you will end up having the money last your whole life. Of course, if you live one year longer than that, then you went down below zero. So I don't like that method at all. I really don't because clearly there are just too many unknowns. That's right. There could be market return unknowns, healthcare cost unknowns. How long are you going to live? And for any person or any system to predict your precise income needs, let alone the optimal amount you should withdraw from your nest egg over the course of a long retirement, it's just impossible. It is impossible. It really is. And so uh, really managing the withdrawals becomes the most important thing to the new retiree. So let me ask you, Doug, what are some things that the new retiree can do? Well, I would say the most important thing the new retiree can and should do is start by creating a retirement budget. Okay. Start with a budget. And when I say a budget, I don't mean uh, in broad strokes. I mean, go to every one of your expenses and designate them as either essential expenses or discretionary expenses. We call those essential ones. Recurring monthly expenses, RMEs. Yes, Deborah. recurring monthly expenses, RMEs. And those aren't required like a a mortgage payment. They may be. Or a car payment. (laughs) Well, those may be recurring monthly and they probably are monthlies, but there's other monthlies. Right, like I know how many pizzas a month I'm going to eat. It's just a part of my lifestyle. Right, and you know about how many tanks of gas you're going to spend uh, in, a, in a month's time. So those become our RMEs. These are what I call the essentials. This is your present monthly lifestyle. And then the second category are your discretionary expenses. That's the first thing that the retiree can and should do. Okay. What else should they start doing what, or can they do? Well, Deborah, I like the way you put it in our office. Recently, I've listened to you tell clients that these are your guaranteed incomes, your guaranteed incomes. So that's going to be mainly Social Security. We can call that a guaranteed income and we can call a pension if you've got a pension guaranteed but you can focus on your guaranteed incomes as a second thing 
All right. You have so many questions, and Doug, Linda, and Deborah have the answers. Call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. So, what about, you know, some folks also have questions about an annuity option. Well, here I would have to say no. You don't want to go the annuity route. Now, I know there are a number of radio programs that are out there today which are really promoting annuities for retirees. Uh, Sometimes they just tell you right outright an annuity will just be the solution. And others just say, well, just come on in and we will invite you to a free uh, luncheon. And then after you go, you find out you're really being told annuities will help you. But I would say no. The annuity is not the option and the way to deal with your withdrawals because what you're doing there is you are actually leaving your money in the hands of an insurance company and taking an income like a like like a like a monthly check and accepting the fact that the time that you die your children get zero that's right and if you have increased needs you can't do it because sorry charlie sorry charlie it's just not and so annuity options i say no so that's a that's a fixed amount, right? But as you were saying, you lose control. That's right. And others have questions about what about scaling back your withdrawals? Yeah, I don't like that one either. That's not going to be the plan that we're going to handle. Oh, I know how we'll plan for retirement. We'll just cut back. We'll just live less and less. No, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is, number one, as I said, get your expenses categorized. Number two, get your guaranteed incomes. And then number three, meet with someone like myself, someone like Deborah. We are certified financial planners, and we then will go ahead and show you how to move to the next step without any particular sales pitch thrown at you, but rather how to really have that retirement income that you've been wanting to have, how to manage your your withdrawals in such a proper way. Beyond that, you can't do it on your own. Don't look for one of these uh, little calculators, these robo-planners that are out there, these little software packages that will do it. Don't trust your life with a software. That's not the way to do it. You need a human. You need a certified financial planner who is a fiduciary, who is fee-based, who will really look out for you. That's right. That's right. You know, it... It seems that as time goes on, whoever has been working the most, and in some families, you know, dad works, and he's been working for 10, 20, 30 years, and mom has been the homemaker, or maybe she's worked part-time. And uh, it's important that both spouses have a comfort about where we're at, what are our needs, And where are we going? That's right. Because you spend a lifetime working hard, dealing with crisis, educating the kids, et cetera, et cetera. And you want to be feel comfortable at those at that next stage when you enter retirement that you've got all your ducks in order and you will have a comfortable income at that time. If you'd like a personal consultation with either Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. Let's take a caller. Hi, Nancy. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Hi, thank you for taking my call. All right. Um, 
I won't bore you with all the gory details, but my husband and I kind of got started late um, in our financial planning um, just by just um, some things that happened. But anyway, um, what I want to ask you is we have two homes. We have one vision home and then just our primary residence. And I wonder how smart is that to let real estate be part of your financial planning for the long term? Like well, we're thinking that, you know, if we had to later in life, we could sell one of the homes and we would have that money and maybe it would appreciate through the years. Boo. Bad Does move. That, that doesn't make sense. Bad move. Okay. Um, let's, let's get a little closer, though, into some numbers. For some people, it's fine, but my knee-jerk reaction is boo, bad move. Okay. Uh, let's take a look at some numbers. How, how old are you? I'm 40. 40 years old. How old is your husband? He's 44. Husband's 44 and wife is 40. I. Uh, any children at home? Yes. How would have two teenagers, thirteen and sixteen. All right, two teenagers. Income of the husband? Uh, about forty-five. Forty-five. Income of the wife? About thirty-five. Thirty-five, seventy, eighty thousand combined income. Investment portfolio. What does it look like on the non-retirement investments? It's pretty low. We have about five thousand in stocks and bonds, and we only have a five hundred in savings. Okay. So and basically, okay, so basically no investment portfolio. What about on the retirement side? Um, I have a retirement at work, and I think it's maybe like maybe 46, something like mm-hmm. that. And husband's retirement plan? He has nothing. No retirement mm-hmm. plan. Okay. Um, let's go over to the residence. How much is the residence worth? Um, each one is worth about 120. 120,000. One of them we just bought. Okay. So, and... Uh, what's the equity in the vacation home? It's twenty thousand. All right, twenty thousand equity. So you had twenty thousand dollars to invest uh, somewhere, and you put it in the vacation home. Right. Okay. Well, uh, you're right. Um, when you began by telling me you, you know, it's not a real pretty picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really an accident waiting to happen, and it scares me looking at a situation like this. Uh, bottom line is, you've got an eighty thousand dollar income, you certainly can't afford to maintain two mortgages, and you shouldn't maintain two mortgages, and there's no reason to. Uh, Real estate uh, certainly should not be part of your investment portfolio by any means, Uh, and basically, you uh, uh, you should be focusing on accumulation as rapidly as possible under the means of what we call a pay-yourself-first plan. What are your living expenses, Nancy? Uh, about what we make. You're spending 80000 a year? Yeah, because we have two homes. And the problem is... No, forget... Okay. Now, what's the mortgage in the second home? Um, it's about 1000 a month. 1000 a month. So what you're telling me is that if you didn't have that vacation home, you could invest 1000 a month plus have 20000 as a starter kit. Right. Well, that's what you should do. But that- the problem is we have a feeling that if we sold the home, we would lose our shirt. Tough. That's why I'm thinking nope. that we should hang on to it. Wrong. Okay. Wrong move. Wrong move. You see, you have a hundred and twenty thousand uh, dollar thing that you've got there, but you've got an eighty thousand dollar. No, you've got a hundred thousand dollar debt. Right. Well, if all it means is when you say lose your shirt, you might lose your twenty thousand. Right. But yeah. you're not going to lose. But but I don't like you sitting there with virtually nothing in savings. Your husband having a zero retirement plan. You having barely nothing in your retirement plan, two teenagers at home, and uh, you are saying that 
I could be investing at a thousand a month into mutual funds, but uh, I'd rather have an IOU of a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, well, we wouldn't rather have it. We just have a feeling that it might be hard to get rid of. Well, I'd get rid of it anyway. Okay. I'd get I'd get out of it, and I just the same thing as if you bought it, bought yourself a a stock, and it was down twenty thousand, and you lost. Well, you lost and go on. All right. So but just cut but, our losses. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I definitely would try and get yourself into. You've got to be accumulating. Right. You see, you have what you must reach is a point where you have an accumulated portfolio of investments equal, the income from which is equal to your lifestyle. So if you're spending, uh, let me see, I wonder what your expenses are without the taxes and without the the um the one mortgage. Let's say that maybe you're spending about sixty thousand a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that means you need roughly, uh, say, 700000 in an investment portfolio. Okay. Because that could produce the 60000 a year income, which would give you the security that you're after. Okay. And the only way you're going to get it is, and the good thing is, you're only 40 years old. Mm-hmm. You do have 20 years compounding in front of you. Of course, the, the risky thing is also that somebody could lose their job. Right. And so, you know, I, I, my advice would be, you know, down and dirty, get, put it up for sale, get rid of it immediately. Yeah. And uh, if you come out having lost your 20000 uh, okay, you lost your 20000 At least you can invest 1000 a month for the next 20 years. Right. Uh, and that would be a large, large number, by the way. Well, you know, just to kind of, I guess, paint a better picture, our strategy was we thought, okay, we'll buy this house. It'll be paid for in 15 years because we have a 15-year mortgage. And this will be our, what's this, where we'll, we'll, we'll retire there. But you know what? It's going to be too much house for us and too much yard. And it's like, we will Besides, what good does it do to retire and have a house paid for and have no food in the refrigerator right. in the kitchen? I know. You can't eat that house. Yeah. Financial security isn't the home. Financial security is the uh, the the income stream that supports the lifestyle. So many people have that confusion. They think if they're going to have that big house with brick and mortar paid for, right. but that's not financial security. Right. Okay. Well, thank you. That's You're kind of sure what we've welcome. been thinking, and you've confirmed that for us. Good for you, Nancy. Thank you. Okay, and good if luck I, there. Nancy, if I could send you any uh, information that we have, I'll be happy to do so if you'll just call me at the office. Okay, what's that number? And that number in Raleigh is 872-7000. It's USA 7000. Thank you very much. All right, And take I'd like care. to hear the day you get the house sold, you call me on the air and let me know you did it. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Good Nancy. luck. Bye-bye. Thanks. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thank you for listening tonight. Well, isn't that interesting? Because that represents a lot of these new calls that we are getting. People in their 40s, um, and usually their early 40s, saying, I've made a few choices. I need some help or some advice. Have I made the right choice? Or it doesn't feel like I've made the right choice. What can I do to either correct my direction or do better in the future? Nancy represents the perfect attitude. Yes. She has the attitude. She's mm-hmm. only 44 years old. 40, and her husband's 44. Oh, I had it backwards. Oh, she's only 40 years That's old. That's right. She has the capacity of being one of those middle-class millionaires that we have watched yes. grow over the years, Linda and I, and it is just such a joy. But it starts with the attitude. Now, let's take a look a little closer at her loss of 20000 she's talking about. Okay, so for, let's say you do sell the house for 100000 and you owe one hundred and twenty. Okay. All right. Well, she 
immediately loses 20. Well, she, 20 didn't go anywhere. <laughs> right. It's, it's, at, it's, it's off of her paper somewhere. Okay, she yes. remembers she paid the 20000 But what happens automatically to her expenses? Go down. By how much? $1,000 a month. So in 12 months, how much did she save? $12,000. She got 12000 of her 20000 back right away before it made anything. Right. So within you know eight more months, you've, you've gotten back what you had lost. All right. So we, she shouldn't even be thinking that way, but it's nowhere near what she says. Now let's go another way. By taking that 1000 a month that yes. she now is not spending on that bricks and mortar, she now invests it in a pay-yourself automatic investment plan using uh, the choices of the mutual funds out there that she... A growth uh, and income fund. That's right. Maybe a growth and income fund. In the next 10 years, she'll only be 50 years old. She could have as much as $180,000 accumulated that's there. That's right. So really, her attitude is perfect, knowing that she needs help and... I really, uh, if you're if you're out there, Nancy, and you're still listening, good for you. Give us a call at the office, and uh, I'm looking forward to you becoming one of those middle class millionaires on the way. And you know that's how these things happen. Um, you know, it's 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 asking for the advice, getting it, moving forward. It's like you said. Sometimes you just sometimes you cut the loss. Out, uh, a prior decision wasn't the right one, and you move on. I call it a life lesson. This that's is right. L I F E life. That's right. Sometimes you make mistakes, or there's a little bump in the road, but down the road, hey. Like Doug said, you make lemonade out of a lemon situation. That's right. Well, you know, it points to this, another topic that I'd wanted to bring up on tonight's show, which was about financial plans in general. Yeah, a lot of people think financial plans are for the rich. And actually, studies show that comprehensive financial plans can benefit anyone at any income level. That is definitely my experience, Deborah. It really is. Whether studies show it or don't show it, I know that the comprehensive financial plan can benefit people at all levels and, you know, even maybe even more so the ones that are at the lower income levels need it more than the ones that are in the higher income levels. Absolutely. But, you know, Doug, what is a comprehensive financial plan? Well, now that is a very good question. I could spend a lot of time telling what a not what what is not a comprehensive financial plan. All right, Linda, why don't you give us a, in a nutshell what is a comprehensive financial plan? Well, the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards defines a comprehensive financial plan as one that covers savings and your investments. And what about planning for retirement, as we've been talking about? And it also covers education for your children. And what about those emergencies that come up every now and then? And if you have major purchases, as well as other financial goals that you may have. And, of course, the necessity of insurance. So, it's comprehensive. It It, covers so many bases. It's comprehensive, Linda. And unfortunately, what is being sold out there to many people is not a comprehensive financial plan. On the contrary, it's a plan just to invest money, a money management plan. But this is a comprehensive plan. And the only way to get into the higher income tax bracket is to have a financial plan. That's right. If you look at people who are financially successful, most of them have been making very smart financial decisions all their life. If you would like to make an appointment with the Lewises, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. 
And the matter of decisions is crucial because the sooner that you start making those decisions, the sooner you know where you want to go if you have a plan to get there. And the more likely that you are or not going to be able to attain it. And the one thing that nobody can give you is extra time. So if you start in your 20s, you don't have you don't you don't have, have to save that yeah, much. You don't have to save that much. The longer you wait, and that's not to say that people haven't come to us right. in their 80s and their 90s for planning. Well, but for sure. Very few, but still they do. <laughs> well, uh, in the last, yeah. the last couple, we've had, we've had a few in their 80s right. and one in their 90s. Right, okay. right, right. right. <laughs> but the longer you wait, the more you have to save to make that goal. And that's the big thing. That's right. The more time investments have to grow, the less money an individual will need to put away in order to achieve the same returns as someone who gave their money less time to grow. Mm-hmm. So basically what we're saying is, don't wait. Call us. That's right. Call us at Lewis Financial Management. You can call us right now and leave your name and number. The number to call in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And uh, comprehensive financial planning. That's what we're talking about if you've just uh, tuned in. That's right. And so here are a few... Uh, reasons to go ahead and get started on your own comprehensive financial plan. Yeah, I'm going to say the first reason for a comprehensive financial plan is it's going to help define your financial goals. It's got to define your goals. That's right. Most planners will begin, like we do, by asking, what is your financial goal? What goals do you have? And for couples, sometimes this is the first time that they've even gotten on the same page. Yeah, that is uh, a crucial, the most crucial beginning point. It's going to help you define what those goals are. And then the second thing the plan will do for you is it's going to help you see whether your goals are realistic, especially within your own timelines. So after you take a look at your goals, you need to look at how much do you need to save? What types of investments should you make? And then your planner can do a cost-benefit analysis. Are your goals realistic? Are they attainable? And most of us have more goals than financial resources. Wouldn't you agree, Debs? Absolutely. It's usually not that the goal is not attainable. It's that the timeline is not attainable. Right. So this is a huge concern. So it's another reason why you need to get a comprehensive financial plan in order. And another benefit is it will help you see how you can bring your spending in line with those goals. Yeah, that's important also because once you know where you're headed and how long it's going to take to get there, then you can look at your cash flow to find out if you're spending more money than you're taking in. And if that's the case and you end up with a negative cash flow, there's no way that you can meet your goals. And so now we have to go ahead and solve the issue of cash flow. Back to the issue of what are your recurring monthly expenses and what are your discretionary expenses? And, you know, you said solve, and that's the biggest biggest thing, I think, is that the comprehensive financial plan will show you what money mistakes you're currently making. And by analyzing not just the spending, but the overall financial picture, sometimes it expo- exposes these mistakes, but it also exposes how easy the fixes can be. And that's the bigger, you know, the bigger benefit to all of these um, attributes of financial plans. Yeah, the, the exercise of analyzing expenses often surprises people, but in the end, they come out smiling. That's because, right. um, you know, people's lives are busy, 
right? Everybody's working. Moms are taking kids to, you know, soccer practice and gymnastics. And so life is busy. But make it a point if you're listening tonight or maybe your children, you're concerned about your children. Make it a point in the new year that you will address your financial planning needs. And Linda, you always give the best advice saying, you know, as you're listening, write down your questions. Call us and ask those questions because that's what many people do. On Monday, we spend a lot of time talking to people who have written down their questions and they know what's top on their list of questions that need to be answered. And ask your husband, honey, isn't it time for us to have a comprehensive financial plan? I heard about that on the radio. That's right. Let's call Lewis Financial Management. 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Well, Doug, we get a lot of questions um, in our office about trusts. Mm -hmm. And questions are usually, you know, how do you pick the right trust? Yeah, I I would say that the most, and there are lots of trusts. There's awful lot of types of trust that we are basically experts in and have used over the last 30 years. But basically, Eilets, Cupert's, RLTs and CRTs are the four most common. And those are acronyms. ILIT, that's an irrevocable life insurance trust. Cupert's, those are qualified personal residence trusts. RLTs, those are revocable living trusts. And CRTs, those are charitable remainder trusts. So really the first and most, uh, uh, I wouldn't say popular, but the most common one might be the islet, the irrevocable life insurance trust. And the beginning to the understanding of trust is to understand some of them are irrevocable and some of them are revocable. The islet, the irrevocable life insurance trust is irrevocable. Okay. So we can't make a, we can't make a change after we establish this trust. Correct. All right. The irrevocable life insurance trust is used to buy life insurance on behalf of the person who establishes the trust. It's best for someone who's younger, who can obtain life insurance at affordable rates, and who wants to protect any large insurance benefits from hitting on the estate. So that's who it's best for. But people make mistakes. Okay. What are some of those mistakes made in islets? Well, the biggest mistake is they don't fund it. They don't put the insurance policy in it, or they create the trust and they keep some indication that they are making the premium payment. They're making the payment of the for the life insurance, and so it's going to come right back into the trust, into the estate, rather. Or they actually make their wife or their husband the beneficiary, and that destroys it. So there are mistakes that people make, but the irrevocable life insurance trust is used to reduce the size of estate taxes. Okay. Well, qualified personal resident trust, Cupert's, what are they? All right. A Cupert is a where it's a kind of trust where a homeowner places his residence in the trust. Very often it's a second home and he transfers the property later on without paying full transfer taxes. And what this is is this is best for people who have vacation homes who know they want to live uh, in the home, they want to give it away to their children uh, down the line. But again, 
There are mistakes that can be made because this can do it can reduce the size of the estate significantly if you do it right. All right. And what and what are some mistakes? Well, these trusts are most beneficial when interest rates are higher since that results in a lower gift tax value on the residence when it's placed in the trust. Okay. All right. Well, another type of trust is the revocable living trusts. These uh, are probably the one that people might be more familiar with. Yeah, and they're people, very common, aren't That's they? right. They are, Linda. They are, Deborah. They're the ones that people call living trusts, living trusts. Sometimes, uh, amusingly enough, people call and say they want to get a living will, and they mean a living trust. That's right. Okay. <laughs> now, the first thing that's kind of interesting is in its name, it tells you that it's revocable. It is revocable. That's exactly right. The irrevocable life insurance trust is irrevocable. The living trust is revocable. If you have questions, the Lewises have answers. Call them at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Okay, so what is it? It's a trust created to hold and protect the assets of the individual during his lifetime. And although it doesn't provide any tax savings, it does protect from probate. So the individual who creates the trust can assign a successor trustee in case he or she becomes incompetent. And that's where we recommend them so often in our office that if this is a senior client, this is not a client in their 20s, this is a client very often in their 60s or 70s, and we realize that it could happen that a stroke occurs, mm-hmm. something of incapacitation occurs, and the irrevoc- and the revocable living trust, the RLT, is the ideal um, uh, case or, or trust to be used in this case. It really makes sense for someone who is older, and they don't want the court to have to take over if something happens to them. So uh, I like that for folks that fall in that category, but mistakes are made here too. All right. And some of those mistakes? Well, the biggest mistake is the client goes to see a lawyer, he creates a revocable living trust, and then never funds it. Nothing's in the trust. So it's like a toothless watchdog. Right. Has no effect whatsoever. It has no effect. So explain, what do you mean it's never been funded? How does that happen? All right, Lynn. Well, you create the living trust. That's number yes. one. Yes. You uh-huh. create the document. Correct. Right? And then the document says there is a trust and there is a trustee who runs it. And then the next thing is the person who set it up called the donor. That's the client. He gives his investments to this trust. But since he's the trustee, he's giving it from himself to himself. That's called funding it. He transfers everything he owns from his own name into his revocable living trust with the right to revoke it whenever he wants. And at the same time, he is the trustee who's running it. And that the big mistake is it has not been funded. Meaning the assets that he owned weren't put in the name of the revocable living trust. And God forbid he dies and what he thought was going to be uh, protected from probate and protected from uh, from the public Give, yeah, knowing. That's another benefit, too, is to a revocable living trust. They provide privacy. That's right. Because what you own in the name of your trust is not technically owned by you, so it's not a matter of public knowledge. The public can't tell what yeah. you died with. That's right, Deborah. Now, a second one that we know a lot about or hear a lot about are charitable remainder trust. Yeah, these are the CRTs. And a CRT, a charitable remainder trust, it is also a irrevocable type of trust. So the revocable living trust is a revocable trust. The charitable remainder trust is an irrevocable trust. 
And here you go ahead and put something into it. It's best for people, for the investor who has assets that have grown in value. Maybe he's got a million dollar home. I mean, a million dollar piece of property. That or maybe a $5 million, you know, Investment acreage, portfolio yeah. or acreage. Or It doesn't matter. Anything yeah. that is appreciated. Mm-hmm. And there's a big tax problem if he sells it. Here, he gives it to this charitable remainder trust and sells it tax-free. This is the ideal situation for the charitable remainder trust. We have done many of those through the last 30 years, and uh, they work beautifully. I would say the biggest mistake people make on CRTs is they name a trustee other than themselves. Yeah. Never give up control. All right, Doug, let's take another call. Buddy, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you? Yeah, uh, the question, I, uh, the charitable remainder trust, I was just wondering, what kind of charge do y'all uh, have for that? Well, when you say y'all, uh, that's probably, um, that, that's sort of a little bit of a, a trick question because, first of all, I, the attorney produces the trust document. Right. And I'm not an attorney. Right. I design charitable trust. Uh, I'm a financial planner, and uh, basically, I'm the one that creates the whole strategy or another certified financial planner designs, creates, and sees how it fits into the world or the needs of the client. Right. Uh, our, and our fees are depend on the client. I charge an hourly fee uh, for the um, initial meeting, and then afterwards, if we quote the client a flat fee, if that's what he wants, we give him a flat fee quotation. Right. Uh, what's your situation, buddy? Uh, well, see, what I'm trying to just figure out is, as far as, like, if I had a piece of property uh, that I bought for 100000 and sold it for 300000 Right. Uh, something in that kind of situation. All right, that's an ideal, uh, and there's no mortgage on it, right? Right. Okay, because that's one of the boo-boo, one of the, one of the, 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 the no-nos. Requirements, in, yeah. Yeah, that you can't, in a Section 664 trust, have any mortgage. But what you're saying is, if you bought a piece for 100 and sell it for 300, then you're facing $200,000 of capital gain. And if I could keep the whole 300,000 and pay no capital gains tax, then you bring into the equation the growth component, how much the entire 300 can be in a tax-free environment. Right. Now, the key in establishing one of these is to see it in two lights. The first light, of course, is in the context of the entire need of the client. What's his income? Uh, what other income do you have, buddy? Uh, total income, probably uh, 80000 a year. All right. So you're making 80000 a year. Uh, married or single? I'm married. Married. Any children? I'm sorry? Any children at home? Yeah, three. All right. Three children at home, 80000 a year income. So you're living uh, not real, real high on the hog. Right. Right. All right. So we want to go ahead and see it in terms of the rest of your investment portfolio. Want to see it in terms of uh, a balance from retirement to, uh, to personal investments. That's the first way to look at the, the, the charitable trust scenario. The second way is to look at the six players. And the six players are very important to understand. Uh, the first player in a charitable range of trust is, of course, the donor. And in this case, you would be the donor. Right. So what you do is you establish a charitable remainder trust right. with the help of your planner, and you transfer the title of your property to this trust. The second player is the trustee. 
So what you do, the trustee runs the trust. So you give the title from you as the donor over to the trustee of the trust. The second, the third player is the income beneficiary. There must be a beneficiary of the trust that receives income. And the fourth player is the charitable remainderman. That's going to be some nonprofit that receives it after you and your wife are dead and both passed away usually. Right. The two other players, however, one is the administrator of the charitable trust who reports to the IRS and fi- helps file the tax return. And the sixth is the investment advisor. Now, the big problem is most of the time these trusts are presented to you with the charitable remainderman saying, we'll be the trustee. Right. So, in other words, you transfer the property and they set up a charitable trust and then they uh, invest the money. They say, we'll be your investment advisor and we'll be your administrator and you'll be the income beneficiary and we don't get anything until after you all die. I don't like that. Right. Because there's a conflict of interest between the uh, income beneficiary yourself and the charitable beneficiary, them, and the trustee is them. Right. But the IRS allows you to be your own trustee. And that's the way that I prefer it, that all the control is in your hands. Right. Do you have this parcel right now? I'm sorry? Do you have this piece of property right now? Uh, yes. Okay. The, the real key, however, if you're going to be your own trustee, right. you must have an independent third-party administrator to report to the IRS and to show that you're never dipping your hand into the honeypot. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. If you'll call us at the office um, during the week, I'll be happy to send you some information about the Charitable Trust. And that number in Raleigh at our office is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. And thank you f- for calling, buddy. I'll just finish up the question he asked about fee. Uh, the administrator will charge an ongoing fee, usually, buddy, about anywhere from a third of a percent to a half a percent of whatever is in the trust. And they take the fee from the trust assets. You don't pay that yourself. It's paid by the trust. Plus, so, you would pay whatever the fee would be to have the document drawn up. On the front end. From, from the attorney. Yeah, the attorney's fee to produce the document. But on but, your end, you would give all the advice on how to... Uh, the, yeah, uh, the planner design. wants to be coordinating, designing it, and then helping select the investments. And the planner very often is the investment advisor who works for the trustee who is the client. That way, the client's in total control. So just review this again, Doug. In, his, in, in Buddy's situation where he has a parcel that he bought for 100000 but now is able to sell it at a market value of $300,000. He's got a $200,000 capital gain facing him. If he sold it outright. Right. On the other hand, he could sell it and pay zero taxes. Within the charitable remainder trust. In the charitable remainder trust. Uh, It could grow to be over a million dollars and then produce for him lifetime income, probably double what he would have gotten in income off of the other position, doing it the other way. And the, the nice thing about this is that basically what you're doing is you're controlling your social capital. Right. You would have otherwise have had to pay this money out in taxes. But in this situation where you set up a 664 trust, you control the social capital. It's not his. It's destined to go somewhere. So instead of it going somewhere through taxation... He can control what charity or what university or what uh, medical research or what family foundation he would like it to go to to help society after he and his wife have passed away. Well, you know, 
I'm glad that somebody out there is interested in how to control the wealth they've accumulated and not just let it go to taxes. Because really, everybody's situation is unique. You can become a middle-class millionaire very easily, but you need to go ahead and have the help. And that's what we've enjoyed through all these 30 years, helping people. going 31 on 32. <laughs> Everybody's story is different, right? Everybody's that's situation right. is different. Everyone is different. So give us a call this week, Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000, and we'll talk about your situation. And don't forget to go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. Everybody have a great week. Thanks your money for matters because your financial future is at stake. You've been listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with the Lewis family.